Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome back to the Interstate Recruiting Show, where we cover all things recruiting in the state of Kansas. My name is Michael Swain. I'm the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. I am once again joined by Ryan Wallace, who covers Kansas State recruiting for GoPowerCat.com, and Kevin Flaherty, who covers more of the national side of things for 247sports.com. We wanted to get an episode out for you all as high school seasons start to get going. You know, guys are going back to camp. We're probably, what, five weeks away from the start of high school season. So pretty exciting times. And so we'll answer some fan questions that we got from Twitter and the fog.net and gopowercat.com message boards. Discuss it all. Maybe this will be a quicker episode than what we've been doing the last couple of times. I mean, we say that on the front end and, you know, here we are an hour later, we'll be talking about right, it. But, right. Um, well, let's just dive right in. You know, Ryan, we're here off the back of, I don't know about you, but a, a crazy July um, for Kansas football recruiting. It seems like K-State recruiting is is in a different spot right now, a m- much smaller class. What's it been like kind of covering them here this summer? Has it been different? Yeah, I mean, July has been the opposite probably of, of KU for sure. Um, and it kind of all culminates as we're recording this right now. In Manhattan, there's uh, the K-State's big uh, team barbecue event. I think they did some of the team barbecue last night, but then they'll do games and activities and stuff, which has become a huge recruiting um, night for them over the last like two years. And the big ones are in town and still on the board. We thought that Michael Boganowski and Grant mm. Bricks, who's uh, an Iowan, um, would be off the board by now. And here we are at the end of the month with K-State kind of giving their final push for both of them. And um, those have been the two guys that K-State's been focused on. And then they'll go into kind of, uh, refresh and reset mode on the recruiting board come, you know, the end of the, this next month, you know, they'll use August dead, dead months to kind of regroup and look back at the board and uh, see what needs to finish out the class come September. I love it. We'll talk about Boganowski here in a minute, but I know Kevin, you've been also out dealing with the hot summer. <laughs> I mean, my Lord, it is hot here. Um, I don't know how you guys dealt with it at Mill Valley uh, two weeks ago, but Kevin, what's it been like getting out to see some of these guys, you know, even guys that aren't necessarily going to go to Kansas or Kansas state, you know, just getting out to see some of the local talent. Yeah. Whatever the temperature gauge says, it always feels about 30 degrees hotter than that this time of year when you're out there, but, but no, it's, it's a really fun time of year because you get to see the way that, these guys are developing in some cases it's your first time seeing mm-hmm. a guy or, or two who's gonna you know have a major impact um uh, on their upcoming season i mean ryan and i saw a, a derby running back who's a 2027 yeah. that apparently is going to be you know one of one He's of the guy. next few guys and, and so you know and it, it was it was interesting too because you know at mill valley and, and i'm sure his name may pop up again but you know, a guy in Gavin Hoffman, this is where we mm. saw him for the first time last year. He didn't really have the varsity reps and, and things like that. And we saw him, you know, playing really well in seven on seven. And we're kind of saying, Who, who's that kid? And, and seeing him a year later, seeing, you know, how much he's really worked out, his body has come a really long way. You know, I, I think at that point we thought, hey, maybe this is a big outside receiver. He looks every bit of a tight end now, Ryan. And, and yeah. you know, Mm-hmm. When you see these guys and don't just see them once, but kind of see the process and, and how they continue to grow, how they continue to improve and everything. It really, you know, paints a, a picture of these guys. And, and even, you know, I realize this is a long answer, but, you know, even Ryan and I saw Gus Hawkins and, and Jaden Woods standing around, you know, helping at the tournament and even seeing the way that those guys have changed physically, you know, Ryan, 
I couldn't believe Gus Hawkins, how much positive weight he has added. I mean, he looks like a totally different kid physically than when all three of us saw him in the fall and all three of us saw him at different games right, in right. the fall. But he looks totally different right now than he did a year ago. He's he's definitely an offensive tackle and not a yes. uh, not a basketball player anymore that's playing tackle. I love it. Well, here let's dive into some of the in-state recruiting stuff to get off sure. um, get off the mark here. So uh, let's start with Michael Boganowski. Um, what we probably have talked about is being probably the top player in Kansas. I think our rankings might say otherwise at the moment, but I think we're all pretty much in consensus that he is the top recruit. Um, from a Kansas perspective, they were slated to have him on campus at the start of the quiet period this week. That visit didn't end up happening. Trying to reschedule now, Kansas is for later in the week to try and get a final say on him. But he, I believe, Ryan, right? He's at the barbecue and yep. he's going to go to Oklahoma, I believe, on Friday or Saturday. And then the expectation after that, I believe, is that it, a decision will come at some point in August before his senior season starts. Ryan, I know you've got a crystal ball pick in for Kansas State to land Boganowski. What are you kind of feeling here as, as things kind of get down the home stretch? Do you still feel good about it? Like, talk to us about where you're at with him. Well, I mean, I, I chuckled just because I, I'm the only one still. Like, I, I keep waiting for, for somebody to get some I'm intel. Yes, for You've somebody to get some. out on an island. Come on. Like, sometimes you just got to let them hang, fellas. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I mean, I, I said this on the Go Power Cap message boards. I think it was either earlier this week or a week or two ago. I can't remember, but. Like my confidence level um, hasn't changed or hasn't wavered, um, but it's also not enough to like increase it either. Uh, I still feel like K-State is, is the team to beat. Uh, I, I still feel like it, I can't move it past. I think what I have now is like a six because of the fact that um, he came out of the official visits and still felt as conflicted apparently as he did. Um, from everything that I've heard, the, the family's been using the month of July to lay out every scenario and every situation, pros, cons, what ifs, um, and it, it still didn't lead anywhere. And so he really wanted to get back um, this final week um, to see those three schools. My personal opinion, um, and again, I'm not trying to stir anything. I haven't been told this. I, there's just a part of me, we all... I think thought going into the official visits that KU was solidly in the mix, but probably a distant third. I don't really know if that's changed. I think to me, the visit that he was going to take to Kansas on Sunday uh, felt more courtesy than anything else. Hmm. I think that was a nod to their coaching staff and the, the relationships that they've made and the 2024 class that Kansas has put together. I think that no doubt has intrigued Michael but I also just feel like it's been OU and K-State from the get-go, and I think it would take a miracle for it to not be one of those two in the end. Um, and so, again, I'm, I'm leaning K-State here, but not to the point, Kevin, where I'm, again, feeling like I need to bump my confidence score. I, I think uh, Brent Venables is going to do everything in his power to sway him at that event on Friday. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I just there's just a gut feeling. I, I can't put my finger on it a gut feeling that K-State just has um, maybe shown him the most sincere interest throughout. Yeah, I think gut feeling, you know, I would probably go K-State if I had to, but I don't have to, so you're still out on that crystal ball <laughs> island all by yourself. Uh, Oklahoma has has a heck of a pitch, like we've talked about, you know, with, with the way that Brent Venables has recruited Kansas linebackers and and the way that they've fared, you know, sort of under his watch. And, and I think, you know, one of the things you said um, that, that I think all three of us have kind of talked about is I think the primary draw from Kansas, I, I'm not saying he doesn't like the coaching staff. I'm not saying he doesn't like the program or whatever else, but I always felt like the primary draw for him was Kansas's recruiting class. Mm -hmm. I think he really likes the guys who are currently, you know, committed to Kansas for 2024, you know, mm -hmm. I think there were some good relationships there um, that, that kind of kept Kansas in that mix, if you will. But, but yeah, I, I think that it, it's going to be really tough to unseat Kansas State and, and Oklahoma. And, and again, if I really, really had to go there and, and sorry, Ryan, that you're out there all by yourself, I, I would probably go Kansas State right now as well. 
Yeah, I think for Kansas, this is one where they're doing everything in their power to get him. And I think Michael is giving them every chance to sway him as well, which I think is why he took the visit or was slated to take the visit and still very well could take it um, this weekend. And I think that probably speaks to where they're at, where it's not a a definitive, hey, yes, I'm going to see Kansas State. Yes, I'm going to see Oklahoma. It's yes, I'm going to see Kansas, but – Visits like that don't necessarily fall through, you know, if if someone's dead set on going to that school. So I think, you know, it's kind of the the saying, right? Actions speak louder than words sometimes. And I think that Michael's given Kansas every opportunity. I think KU's recruiting incredibly hard as well. But it's one of those things where sometimes at the end, you just hold your hands up and say you did what you can. The kid just didn't want to go to the school um, that you're a part of the coaching staff. And I think that's probably what's going to end up happening here. And I think there are times that, that happens in recruiting. I'm sure Kansas State has had guys like that. KU obviously has had guys like that, and um, it is what it is. But one more um, in-state recruiting note, Kansas did pick up a commitment today on Thursday from a class of 2025 quarterback David McComb. Um, pretty interesting story, right? So, Ryan, you mentioned the barbecue for Kansas State. KU did something very similar at the end of June where they hosted a bunch of 2025 recruits for a visit to basically kind of wrap up June and have it be a positive moment before this July dead period. Well, that's when David McComb visited for the first time. And I talked to him today and he said, that's when he wanted to commit. Like he wanted to commit after the first visit. And he ended up talking to the coaches, talking to his parents and they decided they would come back this week, see it, make sure it felt like home, get mom on board. She wasn't there the first time. And he ended up deciding to commit. And so now Kansas has a quarterback in the class of 2025, the earliest commit, for Kansas under Lance Leipold, pretty big deal considering the fact you think, right, 2024 class didn't get started till November, I believe, when Red Martell committed. The previous class didn't get started till late May. This yeah. is really early, right. and I think quarterback, you guys would agree, right, quarterback is the most important position to have in your class early. It's an easy position for other kids to go look on 24-7 sports, yep. the commit list, you see quarterback, and that's a pretty good sign early on. So I think it's a pretty big commitment. Kevin, you and I were talking earlier about his skill set. What do you think of, of David McComb and, and what KU's getting? Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked about this Kansas staff is so discerning at, at quarterback. And, you know, they want to see a guy in person. And a lot of times when they see a guy in person, whether it's at camp or wherever else, they nix the guy. There's something they yeah. see that that they they don't like for whatever reason. He's not accurate enough. He's not polished enough. The footwork isn't there. The arm strength isn't there. And so to take a quarterback this early that they saw in person, they really like the tools, uh, mm-hmm. I think, is what you look at. And it, it comes off on tape. You know, you can see he's a really good athlete. I think he ran, what, like 11, 600 meters as a, as a freshman. So, you know, that's the type of guy that, you know, you're, you're probably running in the tens at some point, you know, in your, in your high school career. So a really good athlete, um, really good arm. You can see, you know, and, and not just from a, Hey, when his feet are planted, he can make this throw, but, you know, Swain, I, I know you've seen the same tape and everything I have, you know, the ability to be a loose athlete and make throws, when your feet aren't set, when you're throwing from multiple arm angles get and push the ball down the field, when you look at what this staff wants at quarterback, they want a guy who's mobile, who can run. But I think they really, really want a kid who's athletic enough that he can make those sorts of throws and off-platform plays and, and things like that and have a strong enough arm to do that. Yeah, I don't know. And- I don't- I don't know if this is you guys. Kansas fans might light me on fire after this comment, <laughs> but I, I sincere I sincerely mean it in a positive way because I remember at the time really liking his high school tape. I'm watching is who, Macomb is that a, yeah. is that the name? I'm watching him today, and I'm I got some Carter Stanley vibes. Mm. He's got a lot stronger arm. He's got a lot stronger arm than Carter. I think does. it was just kind of the evasiveness and the ability to kind of improvise yeah. a little bit out of the pocket. Um, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I like Carter Stanley's tape out of high school. And um, when I flipped this tape on today, I was like, I get some Carter Stanley vibes. I would also say from the, from the purpose of this show, because um, I think there might be some fans going, you know, well, does this eliminate, does this nix Kansas from any local quarterbacks? I think it was a good take by Kansas because – Though 2025 is deep, guys, I unless there's somebody I'm forgetting here, 
I don't think it's going to be a class that you're going to have, certainly not an Avery Johnson, but even maybe like a Mikey Pauly. I mean, if there was ever a year to take an out-of-state quarterback early, this early, and build around the class around it, um, 2025 is a good one to do it. Top, top maybe quarterback in 2025 in terms of maybe being a Power 5 guy, Banks Bowen. Like, I'm not being facetious with that. Oh, right. You know, if you're if you're talking about quarterbacks in that class, I think Banks would probably be our, our highest rated guy, you know, from from a hey, this guy could wind is up. Banks twenty twenty five or is he twenty four? He's twenty twenty five, I thought. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting it confused. I'm pretty sure he's twenty twenty five. He's in the database it. as We're a twenty twenty five in our database. Yeah, twenty twenty five. Okay, good. So yeah, um, you know there there are a couple other guys in that class that we had we had evaluated. You know Logan Morley at Shawnee Mission Northwest and kind of shown a few things. You know mm-hmm. we've seen a few other guys in that class, but I right. think if you were to say, hey, who's the one guy that could jump up and maybe be there, it, it would probably be Banks. And, and quite frankly, you know I, I think when you look at, at what McComb puts on tape. At this point, you know, it, it seems like more of a more of a fit, at least at this point. Yeah. And all right. So we're talking about a guy that hasn't even played his junior season yet. Sure. Let's right. look ahead to this fall, um, getting it back to the in-state. Right. And so all right. All right. Let's start with 2024 here, because, you know, I think it's a really good question. Um, and this one comes from the K-State message board. And of course, I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Um, oh, from King Jim 77. Oh, yeah. Uh, are there any remaining 2024 Kansas players that are worthy of K-State and KU offers in your eyes? I'd say let's broaden this out to just power five commitments. Um, Kevin, let's start with you. Um, any guys on your radar right now that you're thinking going into the season, right? Maybe they don't have a power five offer yet. Maybe they don't have an offer from KU or K-State yet. But with a good season, they could get there. Anyone come to mind that maybe fits that bill of a potential power five player? I, I think the guy that pops the most for me, um, and, and he's a guy that we knew about, we evaluated, didn't really see him, you know, this, uh, this summer. And then we asked about him at Mill Valley seven on seven is Demario Baker, the cornerback at, at Derby. You yeah. know, he's, he's a guy yeah. that's six foot six, one really good athlete. Um, had an ACL injury, um, uh, according to according to Coach Clark over at Derby. Uh, Coach Clark did say he'll be back for the season, but you know when you look at that kid, you look at the type of athlete that he is. He's somebody that really would have benefited from the summer camp circuit because he would have shown up. He's very physically impressive. You guys, like six one person. Maybe? I think he's yeah six one, um, long guy. Um, and, and so if he would have gone to a KU or a K-State camp, you know, run four or five or, or whatever at, at that size, you would have seen recruiting attention explode for him. And we had a chance to to see him in seven on seven last year. We saw him in Derby Mays. In Derby Mays, they moved him over and had him play cornerback. And Ryan, that was really, we had yes. heard talk about him being a, a high level guy before that. But I thought watching him in that game, against Mays' wide receivers. And, and remember, you know, Justin Stevens is going to Butler. You know, Bryce Cahoon, Syracuse. Bryson Hayes has all these Power 5 offers already as a 2025. So these were legit guys, and he played a really good game. And that was, to me, when it really stood out like, hey, this does look like a big 12 caliber guy, even if the offers aren't there right now. Yeah. I felt like we were kind of pulling off of him at that time. Yeah. Like maybe we mis evaluated something here that had him had had him at safety. It, it just, it, it wasn't translating to what we kept hearing out of Derby and then kudos to coach Clark and that staff. Cause man, they moved him to corner and you went, okay, there still might be something there. So that's a, mm. That's a really good pull from you, Kevin. Uh, I think there's some a, a couple other DBs that came to my mind. Um, yeah. were Adrian Seals at, at Eudora, Trey Thomas sure. at Blue Valley Southwest. But again, uh, Martel Buchanan at Blue Valley. But guys, I, I don't think they're Power 5 offer guys. Um, I think those are all going to be guys that KU and K-State will fight tooth and nail for from a preferred walk-on standpoint. I don't for know sure. if, if they're scholarship worthy guys i could stand corrected later this fall but the the two guys that came to my mind 
from a and it would be late offer because I think right now they're still probably PWOs, but they could have strong senior years and maybe there's some transfer portal exits or something like that uh, along the offensive line at KU and K State where you might re relook at these guys come January if they're still there. And I'm thinking of uh, Braden Hales at Olathe North, sure. Jeremy Schleicher at Bishop Miege. Um, I, I'm very high on both those guys. I've been a Schleicher guy from day one. Uh, all that's missing there, I think, is some weight. And I think with the season that I expect he and Bishop Miege to have, Michael, I think um, I, I could see Jeremy Schleicher creeping up some boards. I would be really surprised if he's not getting FCS, if not, you know, kind of group of five attention this fall with some possible more flirtation from some bigger schools later in the winter. Yeah. So we'll start with Hales real quick um, in terms of the state ranking, right? Uh, for Hales, a three-star recruit right now in 24 seven sports, number 12 ranked rising senior in the class right now has some offers, right? Colorado state air force army. Um, he's got opportunities to go and play college football, potentially at the FBS level. Then you look at Schleicher right now, ranked number 14th, Offer from Lindenwood. He's got some interest, right, from yeah. Boston College, right? K-State showing interest, Missouri, um, but no offer just yet. I think for me, one of the guys I look at, and maybe I'm cheating here a little bit, but I, I'm still kind of surprised Trey Ridley is not getting more looks. There now. you go. Yeah, yeah. that's one. You that's know, a good one. I, I look at him and I say, okay, Iowa State offered him early, but they offer a lot of guys early, right? And that's just a question of do they recruit – but I look at what he does. He's a smart football player. He's got really good size, right? He's about 6'1", 190 pounds, maybe even a little bit heavier. He, um, he was 200 I, at, uh, at – 200. At, like, uh, yeah. You're telling me someone can't look at him as like a, a weak side linebacker? Yeah. I, I know top-end speed was kind of his his knock and why KU and K-State are hesitant to offer not the fastest 40 time, but – a guy like that with a 10-yard split, can he get sideline to sideline? Like, I just wonder if why isn't he getting more power five he's looks? So, he's the type of guy. He's so toolsy. And, guys, let's be, let's be honest smart, here. smart, too. Very smart. And he's played – this will be his third season starting varsity yeah. for a top-ranked team in the state. I mean, that's a, that's a good one, Swain. That's a good one. A, a couple, maybe one way off the radar – that I'm interested in seeing is Noah Gunyan, the running back at Shawnee Mission West. He was Ooh, a guy deep that, he, he was a guy that that really tore up sort of the camp slash combine circuits. You know, I think he ran was it four four flat at the eight ten or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then he ran four three eight at the Kansas City version of Sharp. And that's a hand time, but he, he also had like a 40 inch vertical. And this is a really athletic kid. Uh, I know uh, former Kansas running back, Brandon McAnderson was there at the sharp thing. He thought that Gunyan was, was a fairly legit kid and felt like with his frame, you know, he could potentially grow into whether it be a box safety or something like that as well. Um, uh, and then a guy that has a bunch of these offers that we're talking about, but maybe couldn't commit to them today that I think really merits watching. And we may talk about him a little more. BJ Kennedy, hmm. right? Because Kennedy has an offer from KU and K-State. I don't know that with the other targets on board, I don't, and with the injuries and everything else, how early those offers came in. I'm not sure BJ could call KU or K State today and, and say, "Hey, I, I want to commit right now. You know, yeah. let me in the class." And, but he's somebody that the last time we saw him healthy was a guy that was pulling major offers and right. was a really effective football player. And so, if he's truly healthy, and you know, we all talked to him at we talked to him at Sharp, and he was saying that he's going to be fully healthy this summer and ready to go for the season. He's a guy that technically has a bunch of offers, but maybe doesn't have them right now who could potentially work his way back into some of those offers with a big year. I agree. I think it's a good one. That's a good one to wrap on too. I think we've talked about, you know, BJ several times on this show and yeah. I I'm interested to see what happens with him because the talent is there. Um, another place where there's a lot of talent is kind of Kansas city right now. And you're talking about, Right, recruiting hotbeds. I think nationally, I think Kansas City is really starting to get more publicity as a place that I think outside schools are going to come into. Um, let, let's go here. Actually, 
there we go. Um, why is recruiting the Missouri side of Kansas City maybe tougher for schools like KU and K-State, right? You look at those two schools being able to recruit more of the guys, that, you know, a Blue Valley and a Latha, um, but then you go over to a Lee Summit, it's a little bit harder. Um, Ryan, I know you deal or go to a lot more games on the Missouri side. From your perspective, how is it different for the two in-state schools to recruit the Missouri side of Kansas City, and, and what kind of um, barriers are they trying to fight over there? It's kind of a, you know, it's it's kind of a cop-out answer in a way because it's it's hard to really put your finger on it. Um, but I also think um, anybody that's been around the Kansas City area will understand this, right? Is um, just how different it is going 15 minutes across the state line mm-hmm. and the mentality of everything is, is completely changes. Even though you think of Kansas city and like you said, Swain, we, you can go from Olathe North to Lee summit in what, like a half hour. Um, it's like night and day. Um, you don't have as many KU and K state flags. There's a lot of Missouri flags, mm-hmm. um, you know, hanging around on the front porches and stuff like that. And when I've talked over the years to kids, it's just amazing how really K-State, certainly KU, I think that's the closest campus to KCMO. And yet you talk to kids from KCMO and uh, you would think that Lawrence was a four hour drive for them. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's just a different way of thinking. Um, and it also I think um, there's more connections over there. I think the coaching pool and the community probably just naturally stretches a little bit further because I think Kevin, as I take it over to you, I think Casey Mo has just been a little bit more entrenched in the recruiting game for more years. I think just in the times that I've covered uh, the sunflower state, we've only, you know, now started to see it blossom, but you know, you go back to, you know, I think of like Josh Freeman in 2006, Casey Mo was well-established by that time. Whereas, you know, to a lot of folks, the Kansas side is just now kind of starting to shoot off some fireworks, whereas the Missouri side said, yeah, we've been here for a minute. So those are the two things that I think jump to mind is there's more competition there from a recruiting standpoint. And um, again, just a different, it's weird to say, but a different mentality, Kevin. Mm-hmm. It is. And Kansas is, has seemingly always struggled to break through that state line. You know, when when you look at, where, where Kansas and Missouri separate, for whatever reason, most of the guys that Kansas has gotten from the Missouri side of, uh, of Kansas City, they've been more sleeper-type guys, right? They haven't been. It's not like Kansas has been in major play for a williams Wanary type right. of guy, you know, that, that is going to be recruited by everybody in the country. And I think, too, be, you know, you have that, and then you actually have the real – you know, distance between Kansas state and and that area too. And so if they aren't looking at Kansas as an option, even with Kansas state's success level and everything, it's not seen, you know, it's somewhat equidistant, you know, probably to Columbia as it is to K state and that area trends a lot more Missouri than it does K state. But I'd say even more than that, there's a very, there's a comfort level there where they aren't, you know, they may be tied to Missouri, but they have no problem leaving the state or the area or wherever to go somewhere nationally. Whereas, you know, somebody like uh, a Jaron Canick, for instance, you drop him down in Hayes, Kansas, you know, Brent Venables had to have Kansas ties. I'm not saying he wouldn't have left the state, but Brent Venables is Kansas ties, the relationship there all of those things were necessary in order to get Canick to go to Clemson in, in the first place. You know, Wichita's a little bit different, but um, you look at, at that Missouri side, you've got Jaden Riddell, you know, going to Georgia. Yeah. You know, you, you've got, you know, the guys from the Lincoln Prep class, you know, that that were headed all over the place. What was it? Toby went to Auburn and, you know, you had uh, – Jermaine, yeah. Jermaine went to Arkansas, yeah, or Howard to Brown, Arkansas. Iowa State. Yeah, and so there's, they're not necessarily tied down in that way. I know I'm forgetting somebody, and, and I know, you know, 
Keaston Terry was, was a really good player. Darian Miller was a really good player, but you know, maybe after that Turner Gill, you know, start where Kansas was recruiting really, really well, I feel like before that and after that, Kansas has really struggled to get on good footing for the best players coming out of Kansas City, Missouri. Let me also put throw this out, Swain, too, mm. is that um, I know from K-State's standpoint, um, they're, the KCMO side, just as it is on, in, on the Kansas side, those high school coaches are very loyal and they're very tight. Mm. And um, so when – a player might not work out at your program, they don't forget it. And so you kind of, as it is anywhere, you know, I just think it's one of those things that, you know, so, to get specific, high <laughs> price didn't work out at K-State, you know, and I'm not going to get into the specifics. There's two sides to every story, three sides to every story. Um, <laughs> but again, you, it's one of those things that I think K-State is still trying to get back in the good graces of Leon Douglas at North Kansas City High School. And so, again, I, I think it doesn't take much in that, you know, instance, whereas when you're the in-state school, you know, I don't want to say you can afford to burn a bridge or two, but, you know, you've got some more backing. You do it out of state and, you know, some guys, whether it's in the right or wrong, fair or unfair, it, it's hard to get back in some of those good graces. Um, so that's that's one. And the other thing that I just thought of, Swain, would be like academics. I Sometimes I wonder if the academics are different. Um, in terms of the Missouri side, if there's more hoops that you have to go through, maybe, maybe not. I'd have to dig into that a little bit deeper, but yeah. that could may also play a factor. Yeah. I'd be interested to know more about the academics. Obviously that take a lot of time to get into, mm -hmm. but I think for me, you look at it, right. If the guys from Casey Mo are going to stay in state, right. Local, it's going to be Missouri. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and Drinkwitz has done a good job of, of recruiting those type of guys. And then I also think that there's, like you said, Ryan, it was a great point. The guys aren't as reluctant to stay local, right? Sprague's going to Michigan. You got guys going to Alabama, you know, SEC country. And there's just not as much of a maybe a, a tie to stay regional like there is in Kansas where the Iowa States, the Iowas, the Nebraskas, you know, KUK State, um, Arkansas where they recruit well, because it's kind of somewhat close to home where I think Casey Moja's mentality wise is so different where they're willing to go out and go try something different. And I think it just creates a different atmosphere. And I think you're right though, in terms of the loyalty too, you know, it takes a long time to build that. And I think for KU, it's about trying to show because for how long has it been that, you know, the Kansas staffs of past have just not really recruited Kansas city, Missouri. And so for guys that, mm -hmm our head coach is there. Why would you send a kid to KU if the staff isn't recruiting the area? And I think that's something that Lance Leipold and these coaches have tried to do where they've got weeks in kind of that evaluation on the road contact recruiting period where they send everyone out. Like coaches have specific kind of areas in Kansas mm -hmm. city, Missouri, Kansas city, Kansas that they go and recruit to go try and build that relationship. So the kids get used to seeing the Jayhawk logo walking around and I'm sure K-State does the same things. And so it's just about building that kind of um, association of being local that probably takes a lot more time. Um, and I think Missouri's probably just done a better job of that period. So um, I, I look at it overall and I think, you know, it's tough to get in there. And I just think mentality wise, it's so different. And not to mention Oklahoma does a great job of recruiting yeah. the area. Right. Like right. we just saw um, Kamori Moore commit to the Sooners, right, from, I believe, Lee Summit North. Yeah. And like there there could be more guys from that high school that go to Oklahoma this cycle. It's just how it works. Yeah. Like Oklahoma is an example of a school that does a great job, right, of recruiting the area and doing that where they get into KCMO, they get to the high schools that produce talent year in, year out, and then they just recruit them. And then you're able to get a kid really, really early who's going to get more Power 5 offers. So, um, yeah, those are kind of my thoughts on Casey Mo. Either of you have anything else before we move on? No, no. not really. I, cool. I, uh, I, I lied. I lied. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Well, and it, no, it's not, a big, it's not a big tangent. I just thought that was a great point mm -hmm. from Swain because sometimes it really just – KU or K-State might just need to get one and, and yep. kind of create that domino because – success story. The one year that I do remember K-State just having a field day and on the Missouri side was the Dalvin Warmack, Elijah yep. Lee, Caleb Pruitt, 
Um, sometimes you just need one. And so I think that's a good point that Swain made is, uh, you know, if KU and K-State can get that one and kind of start that effect, um, it, it, it can happen. It can happen on that side of the state. Yeah. Well, and Hey, we talk about relationships, right? And I think so much of that is coach driven. Um, I, I think this is a great question because for me, it seems like year in and year out, there are different schools that dip into Kansas city and Kansas, whether it be Wichita, you know, kind of Lawrence, Manhattan, Topeka, all these places um, with relationships. So th- that was a great question. What other programs that have Kansas natives on their staff will continue to show Kansas and Kansas City attention? Are there new ones we should be wary of? I'll start off because this one makes me start to feel older, and that's saying something. I'm 25 and I'm feeling old now. But Joe Deneen at Purdue, being yeah. an off-field coach, going yeah. and recruiting the Kansas high schools. Like I covered Joe when he was in college, like, and he's now one of these guys that's out here building relationships. And I remember there was a stretch there in probably February or March when I feel like Joe went in and offered every single one of the top in-state players in Kansas. And I think Purdue is going to be one of those schools now with him on staff. They're going to come in and try and recruit because they know that there are talented players here. And Ryan, you mentioned academics, like, Purdue academically stacks up really, really well against a lot of other schools. And that's one of those where I could see some of these guys that have really good high school grades, similar to what Northwestern has kind of done before everything happened with Pat Fitzgerald, but similar to what they did where they use academics to their advantage and get really high level academic students who are really good at football. And I think you could see something like that with Purdue and Joe Deneen. Um, Let's go to you, Ryan, then. I mean, any guys that come to your mind that, that are going to be coming back? Well, the first that comes to mind isn't a Kansas native, but I thought of him with Kansas City, and anybody that follows recruiting close has probably noticed that Oregon has surprisingly yeah. uh, jumped into the mix for more yeah. and more of the top guys, and that's Dan Lanning. Um, uh, went to school, I think, at William Jewell. He's from just outside uh, the metro um, on the Missouri side, um, but he knows a ton uh, of, of coaches in the metro and so that's a big name program that's going to be around for as long as he's there. And I think he just re-upped his contract. So he's going to be there for a while. Um, you know, I think of, you know, from a K-State perspective, because you, you brought up Deneen's name, um, certainly Cody Cook, who's down at Tennessee. Um, mm. You start to see the volunteers start to creep yeah. in a little bit more. And Cody's not a, a full-time staff member, but as long as he's on the support staff there, he's getting them more and more knowledge and familiarity around the Kansas city market. I think about him. I think about Alex Golish down at USF, not a Kansas native, but has recruited the heck out of Kansas city for a long time. Um, back when he was at what Iowa state and I'm trying to remember even before that, I think he was recruiting the area too. And so he was at Tennessee learned a little bit more from Cody cook. Now the head coach at USF um, you'll, you'll could see the bulls back up here a little bit more um, Stanton Weber, is now at Toledo. You've seen Toledo start to pop in and offer a, a couple more guys lately. Um, uh, Baylor, Kevin, Eric Mateos. Yeah. Uh, I hope, hopefully, I didn't steal that one from you. Um, you and another you did, guy, you did, but that's dang okay. It, that's dang okay. it. Well, then here, how about I I pitch it to you with another guy um, that um, I, I know will probably make Kansas and Kansas State just like pull their hair out at the end of every cycle because I got a feeling. There's another kind of group of five guy, strong connections in the state that's going to, you know, all those guys at KU and K-State covet as preferred walk-ons. I have a feeling, you know, where I'm going, that this guy could come and pluck a couple of those every cycle. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're talking about dryling at New Mexico State. Uh, that I am. But that whole staff, like the top tier guys, I don't know if people realize this. Jerry Kill coached at Pitt State. Tim Beck was the Pitt State <laughs> head coach, and he's – the offensive coordinator. Dryling is the defensive coordinator there. He was the defensive coordinator at Pitt State. So you basically took Pitt State staff and and put them at at New Mexico State. So there are a lot of ties with that group. And and Nate does such a good job getting into the state. You brought up Matias. He, uh, I think he played at Shawnee Mission South. So he's a sunflower kid. And, you know, they're going to stick mostly, I feel like, to – Kansas City slash Lawrence. I don't know how much Baylor is going to get into rural Kansas because I don't know that they can really justify it unless it's 
for a Jaron Canick right. type of guy. Um, you're seeing all kinds of Mac people, you know. I, I mean, obviously the one that that pops up all over the place is Brandon Blaney at, at Eastern Michigan, obviously, and he he winds up going after a lot of those preferred walk-on type guys. Um, forgot his name, Swain, but one of the interns from KU's uh, recruiting department under Oligo just went to Miami, Ohio, like this mm-hmm. week, I think. Yeah. So, you know, and, and there are a lot of local ties through the MAC that, you know, aren't going to battle with right. KU or K-State necessarily for the upper tier guys, but they're going to make them stub their toe because there are going to be guys that maybe not even preferred walk-ons, but guys that they kind of want to string along and have this guy there in December just in case, and, and they aren't going to give them those opportunities. A guy that's been around for forever that, you know, Swain's probably going to want to touch on. He's not a new guy, but um, Kansas City native Nathan Shieldhouse, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. Talk about, you know, the area, you know, Iowa State offers Kansas guys before KU and K-State do. You know, they they were the first person out on John Michael Fountain, the 2026 linebacker out of Wichita Northwest. They do a really good job at all of that. And a staff that I don't know if they have Kansas natives but I would keep a very big eye on this staff if I were a KU or K-State person. Nebraska has been offering a lot of Kansas guys. And when you look back at sort of, you know, the Pelini, Bo Callahan, you know, the um, – uh, not Bo Callahan. Bo Callahan's from draft day. Uh, but, <laughs> Bill Callahan? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but when you look back at those eras – Nebraska was a major player in Kansas and in Kansas city. And they could come in and they could do battle with national people Mm. or guys like William Swaneri and guys like that on the Missouri side, but they could also come in and swing for the top guys on the Kansas side. And I think when you, when you look at that staff, you know, it's a pretty young energetic staff, even though they don't seem to have the ties that hasn't stopped them from offering guys like Bryson Hayes or, or coming forward on, on different people like that. Uh, and, and so that's a staff that, that I would absolutely keep an eye on if you're looking at new staffs that are potentially going to get in and be a headache for KU and K-State. If Matt Rule gets that thing turned, and I'm not even saying like Nebraska of old, I'm saying if he even gets Nebraska to where it's going to bowl games again, I think Nebraska is going to be very dangerous mm-hmm. you know, locally. Yeah, I got one one more. Kevin Kane to Illinois. Sure, I don't do a ton in Kansas City, or at least not as much as I would have thought. Um, but he's one as well that at Illinois with Brett Bielema. You know, I think they're going to continue to kind of keep an eye on the area. Not a ton of offers that I can at least think of off the top of my head, but I have a feeling that they will continue to look at the area and offer kids. Um, any others before we move on to a hot topic? No. Let, right. Let's well, let's get it heated. I, get, up. I mean, I could name. I, I other bad football movies. Yeah, I mean, no, I could name more coaches, but some of them, like you were saying, Swain, they just don't. For having ties to the area, you don't see them offer yeah. nearly as much as you would expect. There, so there are all kinds of Mangino era KU guys who are in coaching that just do not recruit the state of Kansas. That are just yeah. spread. They're spread all over the country, and for whatever reason, you know. This just isn't an area that, right. that they recruit despite the ties or whatever. So, mm. Yeah, I, I like this question from third-gen Wildcat. And I think okay. NIL gets talked about a lot nowadays with and recruiting. Um, it's probably – honestly, it might be the most talked about subject that's not actually like football-related, yeah. right? And it's a good question, right? In very practical terms, how is NIL impacting recruiting? Is it impacting certain positions more than others? Um, and at what level is it impacting things? Um, either you want to start first. I, I can yeah. go first. I'll, I'll, I'll hop in real quick. Yeah, go, Kevin. You know, Lane Kiffin at SEC Media Days kind of took a lot of heat because he said the current situation is a disaster. And a lot of people said, oh, you took 8 billion transfers. You took like five transfer quarterbacks, you know, you're, you're such a hypocrite. But I think if you go back and actually read his comments, one of the things that he had expressed an issue with was people using NIL specifically for recruiting. 
and talking about how that wasn't how he felt it was meant to be used. You know, it wasn't a kid making money off their name, image, and likeness. This wasn't Jared Casey getting an Applebee's commercial after after beating Texas or, you know, or, or somebody, you know, going and, you know, representing Taco Lucha while they play for, for the K-State team or, or whatever. You know, it, it's it was more people saying NIL and then paying a high school kid a certain sum of money to come play for their school. And, and you know, that I get that concern. I, I get that that's a, a very real thing, and it's something that on the basketball side, too, you hear a lot of staffs have an issue with that, you know. And, and so I think that's how it's impacting recruiting. There are some kids, especially I feel like more on the basketball side, where you hear basically they're going to the highest bidder. You know, it, it's not, you know, they're going to the school for academics. They're going to be developed. They're going whatever. It's going to say, hey, this kid is right now, this is his dollar figure. If somebody goes above that, then he he's going to go there. And so it does impact that. The other thing that I'll say from kind of a joking standpoint, but I know both of you have heard this sort of stuff. NIL has become the punchline for just about any coach who loses a kid to be able to go either his fan base or the media and say, you know, we really Mm -hmm. could have had, you know, Bobby (laughs) Joe Smith playing safety for us, but insert rival school X where he's going you know, gave him 35 grand a year in NIL money. And so it's, it's become the most common excuse I feel like for not getting a kid as well. Yeah. It's no longer, we dropped him or, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like we, we lost interest or the, the uh, offer was not committable. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it's uh the NIL money. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so that, that's, that's the thing, but yeah, I, I don't know that it's impacting the other part of it. I don't know that it's impacting certain positions more than others. I mean, you hear about it being fairly spread out, Obviously, the crazy dollar amounts you hear, you hear about with quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the problem with NIL is those are the crazy amounts we hear. We don't really know. I feel like nobody really knows what these guys are are, are actually going to make coming in. You hear, oh, gosh, this this quarterback, he's getting $5 million to, to go to this school. Right. I think the reality is probably quite a bit different than – you know, sort of the Paul Bunyan-esque tales that, that we get at certain as, as Jaden Rashada found out. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And I, I think NIL, basketball, it's a disaster. It's just, it, it's terrible. Yeah. And this isn't even like Kansas-level players. It's not even really like K-State-level players. It's guys that are going in from poor, high-major teams and saying, I want several hundred thousand dollars. And it's like, what? Who would pay that? There, and, there was a Power Five school that that took a basketball player in this in this cycle, and talking to their coaching staff, they said we really don't love the kid. We don't think that he fits or, or impacts our team this well. They paid him four hundred grand. Like it's like they they felt like that was what they had to do to compete, but and that was what it took to get the player there. But this wasn't you know. Hunter Dickinson or Arthur Kaluma, you know, like right. somebody, you know, that, that you feel like it is going to, this is a guy that they're like, maybe he works, maybe he doesn't, but on in basketball, that's the price of doing business. Sure. Well, and I think Kansas has done an interesting thing here where, and not interesting, but like they don't, there's no front end on this. Like Lance has been pretty clear that they are the type of school that's like, Hey, like any sort of financials that, you know, and obviously this is all Mass Street, but like the coach decides and says, "Hey, Mass Street Collective, we would like the resources to go here," mm-hmm. and that is all active players. And you see that a lot with the things that they're doing, um, whether it be today for folks that didn't see. You know, they got a deal with NASCAR, not the Sprint Cup. I don't know much about NASCAR, but you know, it's like the Sprint Cup, I guess, <laughs> is the first level, and then there's Xfinity. But like they they got a deal now with one of the cars where it's going to have a bunch of Kansas athletes on it, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and they're getting creative with ways to get guys active players money. And I think that's what it should be. And I think you guys would agree, right? That it should be about the guys that are on campus performing are the guys that should be getting the money. 
Yes. Because it, that's what it should be. It should be rewarding performance, not pay to play. And so I, I just look at it and I say other schools, you know, and I think we all know some of the ones that are, you know, dishing out for high school recruits. Um, it, it's just, it's unsustainable, right? Because the guys are going to get to campus and then what, what, what are the finances going to look like for them? And then you've got current players saying, well, what about me? What about my finances? And I think the way to go sustainably, again, also just following the rules um, <laughs> is basically in recruiting, you get asked, all right, well, how much can I make in NIL money? Well, then you point to player X, player Y, player Z. Here are the guys that performed last year. They're all big 12. Um, they're performing. Here's what they made last year. This is what you make. If you can come here and perform, that's what it should be. And I think that's what KU does. And I, I'm fairly certain that's what K-State's doing too. Mm -hmm. um, but Ryan, just like, for K-State then, like, are you getting hearing instances of where K-State's losing guys because NIL money? Like, what's your experience been like with it covering it? Um, I, To be honest, and I mentioned it on our boards, I, I try not to delve too deep into it. I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. All I really want all I really want to know for, is out of the gate, is this going to be a factor for a kid? Um, and then if it's yay, um, then I don't – again, I don't want to know details or whatever. It's just kind of is K-State going to uh, – can they even live in that market? You know what I mean? That's all I need to know. I, I don't want to know what they offered, if they offered, what so-and-so offered. And I, I just don't want to know because to me, NIL was what Swain said. It was meant to, yeah. to help and benefit the guys that are on campus and not as a way to get players on your campus. So um, I try not to to know – I try to know very little about it. Um, the the one thing that I did think about, though, when it talks about impacting recruiting, and I just thought of it because we've been talking about KCMO and the Missouri side more, is where KU and K-State, and I know that obviously the, the long-term goal is to have some sort of universal NIL rules or guardrails, right? But in the immediate, um, as long as we're still playing Wild Wild West, and you've got a state like Missouri that's going to pass this deal where – if you are committed, what is it? If you're committed to Missouri, that you can get paid NIL money in high school. It's almost like an incentive to keep those kids in state going to Missouri. Um, that is a nightmare scenario for, yeah. uh, you know, not only do they have the SEC flag that obviously they can wave, but now you've got Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman that, you know, and I hope this doesn't happen, but it, it happens in today's day and age where you might have a kid that's on the Kansas side. That's like, well, shoot, I could transfer to Liberty, Liberty North. And I'm technically a Missourian now. And if I commit to Missouri, I get money in my pocket as a 17 or 18 year old. So um, that's where it could, it could impact recruiting. And hopefully again, they, they pass some sort of uh, legislature or whatever that can, again, put some sort of guardrails and put a universal context on it all. But overall, the way I would finish this is I don't think KU and K-State are recruiting the type of guys where it's it's really impacting. I, I think most of both Lance Leipold and Chris Kleiman are cut from the cloth of we're going to pitch our school our way. We want you to fall in love with the school. And if we have to go to battle for you from a financial standpoint, we're, we might have some guys that are going to do that and handle that for us. But when we start, you know, really, if, if it comes down to pinching pennies, you're not the type of guy we want in our program, period. And that's not sustainable either, right? Yeah. If you're picking a school because money, like what happens when the next school comes in offers? Think about that from like as a coach of a, at a school, right? You're going to go pay to get a guy. And if that's what it takes to get the guy, is he going to stick? Right. Especially now it's a free transfer, right? It's just not sustainable. And so I think long-term in college football, for the programs like KU and K-State, who aren't the Alabamas, the Georgias, that can just churn, right? It doesn't even matter who is, you know, it's all blue chip guys, right? It's a lot different for KU and K-State where developmental programs, right, get guys in as freshmen, they redshirt, mm -hmm. they develop over the course of four to five years. And so I think that's a long-term way it's got to go. And I just think that NIL, it's got a lot of, a lot of things that need to be worked through, but yeah. I think that's a whole different, we can do a whole different hour long podcast. We've already been going for nearly an hour. So let's just skip ahead here. Um, okay. 
to a, a last question because obviously I think this might end up being the last one we do before at least September 1st when the contact period begins. But um, let's go here. Um, what high school games are we most looking forward to this fall? We were discussing before, I think Ryan's going to run through them and then we can talk about a couple of them after. So Ryan, um, without further ado, name off some of our, our the games you're looking forward to the most. Well, so this question came at a good time because, uh, believe it or not, I'm already starting to plan out that schedule and uh, be selective of you know where I'm going each week. It it it's not just a wake up on a Thursday or you know Thursday night or you know I guess go to bed Thursday night, wake up on a Friday morning and you know point to the map and figure out where you're going. There's some planning that that gets involved, but uh, I'll. Of the ones that I found so far, the schedules that I've been able to find, a couple games that have stood out to me, and I'm going to omit the one that you guys both agree on. We all agree <laughs> on, uh, so I won't take that one. But So September 1st, right out of the gate, I think there's uh, two really good ones. Derby is at Manhattan. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's kind of a revenge factor there. Uh, I think Derby's poised for a bounce-back season. Let's see kind of what Manhattan does as the defending champs. A uh, good clash of, of programs there. Also, September 1st in Wichita, Bishop Carroll at Wichita Northwest. I think uh, Kevin and I have heard some things about the Grizzlies, know something about the Grizzlies. Uh, they're going to be darn good. And Carroll's got several guys, too. They're, they're always well coached. So um, that's a game that I that I have down. September 22nd, uh, Gardner Edgerton is at Mill Valley. Yeah. There aren't many teams, if any, let's be honest, in 5A, let alone the Sunflower League, that are going to give Mill Valley a run. But you talk mm-hmm. to the Jaguars, that's the one that I think they kind of have circled other than Olathe North. Uh, Gardner's physical. They're big. Uh, played in the state championship game a year ago. Uh, lost to Manhattan. But uh, I think that might be you know the, the test for Mill Valley. Rockhurst is at Aquinas. Good uh, battle uh, uh, there from – uh, standpoint of what Rockhurst has coming back, what Aquinas has on the D-line. Uh, and then one more that I'll throw out there is October 20th, Blue Valley Northwest at Miege. I think that that's kind of a maybe a game that's being overlooked um, from the standpoint of, of recruiting. Just maybe Miege doesn't have the guys that they uh, typically have from a, a maybe a national standpoint or a regional standpoint that Blue Valley Northwest does. Bishop Miege got some guys. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's going to be a game. Uh, Coach Ryder and Coach Holmes are two of the best in the business. So uh, that's one that I have penciled on the calendar too. But I'll throw it back to you guys because the night that I talked about Gardner Edgerton and Mill Valley, you want to talk about a, and I wish they would do more of these guys. You want to talk about a kind of a, what do you, cross state or cross metro kind of mm-hmm. uh, bragging rights type deal? There's a fantastic one that's going on that night. Blue chip. That's what it's going to be called. The blue chip game. And it's uh, Lee Summit North and Blue Valley Northwest. Obviously, Northwest has a guy like Trey Ridley. Um, they've got Gavin Hoffman. I think for me, the matchup, Lola, I'll, I'll be there. Keith. I'll be there. Right. Well, it, it, I think all three of us Babalola. will probably be there. Yeah, we'll all be there. But, so basically, it's for me, it's like Andrew Babalola against Williamson Wary. Yeah. Like that for me is going to be the big, like one on one individual matchup, right? We're talking high school football. It's not often that these guys on the high school stage get to go play against another guy that is considered to be a blue chip prospect. And I think you look at Nwari, where he's at a top 10 player in the entire class in 2024. And then you've got someone in Babalola who I think, as a group, we're really high on. Like that for me is a, a barn burner, incredible matchup. Really going to see what someone like Babalola is made of. Obviously, he's a year younger, um, still developing, but just a fascinating game. When we went to uh, when we went to UC Report, you know, Caden Massey was there. We we talked about the fact that Caden hadn't seen the highest level competition at that point, <laughs> and he didn't wind up going up against Williams Wanieri, but he went up against some really good guys and guys with big time offers and things like that. Uh, and I, I've said this before. I, I thought Caden was was going to have a rough day, and he responded really well. He had a rough first rep and after that kind of gave as as good as he got. I'm interested to see that with Babalola, right? Because physically the, the tools are there. He is a great athlete for the frame that he has. You know, he's got the big hands, the length, the height, the way that he moves, all of those things are there. 
the question now is going to be, you know, you're going against Williams one area. You're going to lose some reps to that guy. You may lose most of your reps to that guy because he's such a ridiculous player. How does Babalola respond? Does he start to give as good as he gets? Or is it the sort of thing where we start to see, you know, potentially some, some chinks in the armor type of deal with Babalola? Because uh, I realize that rankings, everybody says, oh, you just rank this guy high because he's big and fast. But especially for local guys, I feel like Ryan and I try to look at a kid's mentality quite a bit. Right. As well. yep. and because if a guy has the highest ceiling in the world, but you can tell that he's not going to reach it because, you know, for one reason or another, whether that's work ethic, whether that's, you know, something else intangible, then what does it matter that his ceiling is the highest ceiling in the world? And, and so we, we like Andrew a lot as a kid, great kid, smart kid, all of those things. And quite frankly, you know, it, it feels like I've been talking about this negatively as far as Babalola. If Babalola holds his own in that game, then he does not have, you know, I'm not putting a cap on his ceiling at, at that point. And I think all three of us probably, if you took a real quick straw vote, would, would probably say Jaden Woods is the number one kid in the state in 2025. Yes. If Babalola goes into that game, holds his own against Wanari, I think that's where I would start to be comfortable, you know, sort of saying, okay, maybe Babalola is at that level or even slightly above what Jaden Woods can do, but not until that point for me. There's so there's that game is so good. I mean, I just pulled up Lee Summit North Huddle because I knew that there were guys <laughs> that I like wasn't thinking of. But I mean, you talked about that matchup, Kamari Moore, who yep. you mentioned earlier, Swain against mm-hmm. Brock Heath on the inside. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Isaiah Mosey, um, I would imagine will go up against. I mean, I would imagine they'll shadow him over the top with a guy like Ridley. Blue Valley Northwest has some other kind of younger up and coming guys that play uh, skill positions, some receivers and some DBs that can match up there. Uh, Elijah Leonard is a quarterback, at least some at North, that I think it, I think the world of him um, split time and snaps uh, last season. But when he was on the field, he's a difference maker, uh, like 6'4", 6'5", kid um, that can move the chains both ways on the ground and through the air. Um, and then Kevin and I saw Blue Valley Northwest – in seven on seven and they've probably got some guys that we don't even really know yet that were burning and granted you know it's it's hot mill valley had just come off um a scrimmage day the day before but they blistered mill valley in the seven on seven game um so i mean that's that's one at the what is it the Schweitzer dac that'll be uh you you need to get out there you i mean that that's one what what i say september 22nd that's one that you you need to probably be at it's at blue valley northwest um yeah chase pearsall there's another one that i missed yeah linebacker power, power five linebacker for lee summit north um just a ton this, of talent all over the place and this was a hell of a game last year too i mean grant stubblefield kept them in the game uh let me i'll, I'll add one more thing here swain this is a good nugget if you if okay. you stuck with us for one hour and two minutes you deserve this nugget um, yes. So I was at a basketball game uh, last winter filming uh, Jordan Allen when he was, uh, I think he had committed already um, to Kansas State, signed obviously. Yes, he had committed and signed already, but uh, went to get some video of him and, and an interview because Oklahoma was picking up their their steam on him. But anyway, uh, happened to be playing Lee Summit North uh, at the Blue Valley Shootout. And so Jamar Mosey, who was there uh, um, supporting Lee Summit North, I sat next to him and, and, you know, we shot it for the whole game, just about everything. And I happened to mention, I was like, I want to know coach, like who was name me some guys that like stood out that you were really impressed with last year. Um, You know? And so obviously I think Josh Manning's name came up um, the wide receiver that's going to Missouri or at Missouri now Um, maybe one or two other names that you were kind of like, okay, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, dude, he was incredibly high on Gavin Hoffman. I mean, like, was one of the first three names out of his mouth that they played last year. Um, said that they just really struggled covering him, was able to do some stuff underneath, over the top, his size, his speed. It opened the ground game for Grant Stubblefield. 
Um, he will not be able, if Jamar Mosey has it his way, to have a similar game like he did in 2022 because there will be no surprises this time um, from Hoffman with, with Lee Summit North. So there you go, a little, a little extra bonus cherry on top here at the end. That, that game, it's got everything you want, so get out there on September 22nd. Story time with Wally. <laughs> we'll, need, we'll need some imaging here for next time. But I'll tell you what, we did it again, guys. We come in. Talking Andy. about here we go, 45 minutes, <laughs> and we're sitting here an hour and five minutes later. Still, we just enjoy good each other's company, yeah. And we and cut it, mailbag questions, too. <laughs> no, yeah. We got a lot more mailbag questions than we did here. Oh, um, no. That'll do it for this episode of Interstate, the state of Kansas recruiting show. We'll be back probably in September, if I had to guess, right? That's when recruiting is going to pick up again for the time being now. KUK State, it's all about the 2023 season for these high school prospects. It's all about the 2023 season. We might get a decision from Michael Boganowski before we talk again in September. God, we hope Probably. so, right? For Ryan's sake, I hope we get a decision because it seems like it's, it's weighing on him heavy. But for uh, for Kevin Flaherty and Ryan Wallace, I'm Michael Swain. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. We'll talk to you all again. CBS Friday. TV's hottest show is Fire Country. I'm not a hero. I'm in orange for a reason. They're taking 12 months off your sentence. You're free. Lady. With a special epic season finale. Now that I'm out, I need something to get me up in the morning. You are a firefighter. Used to be. That will be unforgettable. In the name of your life's happiness, go get your girl. She's getting married tomorrow. Says, when do you let anything get in the way of what you want? The Fire Country season finale, Friday, 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.